1: Oh, <laughs> will Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. Your host, John McCackney, joined as always by Mario Pui. We got a ton to get to on today's show. We are going to get into the latest with those Julio Jones rumors. So, uh, see how that impacts that, that whole Atlanta Falcons offense. And, and uh, who better to talk to about that, that than you, Mario? And then we're also going to get into uh, the recent RotoWire. NFL PPR mock uh, that we did for the magazine last week. I was picking out of the 13th spot, so we'll break down my team, uh, the strategy, and then we're just going to kind of use that uh, as a jumping off point to talk about early round running back strategy, Uh, you know, not not necessarily zero RB or modified zero RB, but just kind of like separating into tears a little bit seeing uh you know the, the guys that we're targeting at various stages depending on, on where you pull uh your specific uh draft position but Mario fill us in what is going on with Julio Jones it looks like a report from Jeff Schultz uh, uh down there in Atlanta uh this morning indicated that uh the Falcons are looking to move Julio Jones this was something that you know was kind of Discussed pre-draft, but then it, it kind of went away these last few weeks, and now it seems like the the volume is turned up on this particular storyline.
2: Yeah, so I don't actually know who Schultz is. That they very well could be well plugged in and have have a good history of reports. I I don't know either way. I assume they're you know pretty much uh, somewhat plugged in at the very least. It doesn't seem like it's it's plausible enough. Of, of a report to have come out, especially given the, the Falcons cap situation. but it is a little bit confusing to me, or at least from how I would think makes sense building their team personnel wise. It, make, it makes very little sense to me to move Julio at this point after taking Kyle Pitts fourth overall. And I know that some people might be saying like, well, Pitts can replace him and it's it works out that way and they can just kind of run the Tennessee offense where it's like AJ Brown and Corey Davis just doing um, like downfield in breaking routes off the play action and it's all going to work out but I don't really think it will if they do that because or unless they make a big move at running back because Mike Davis is a backup caliber talent like he's he's good but enough Did you see maybe. his
1: legs? Did you see his yeah, legs he, this week?
2: <laughs> yeah, that that one was weird because he's always <laughs> been a really well-built guy. He's like 5'8 and a half and like 215 to 220 or something. He was always really well-built even when he was at South Carolina. Um yeah, he's just like you know, he's, he's functionally decent, but he's not a top 32 running back in the NFL. So if you want to base a scheme off of what you did in Tennessee with a two three tight end offense with two receivers, usually that makes sense when you have Derrick Henry. But when you have Mike Davis, you probably need a Julio Jones around to pick up the resulting slack. So anyway, going with Pitts at the fourth spot, to me, would have only made sense if they were trying to compete right now and trading Julio means you're not trying to compete right now. They might ju- try to justify it with like, oh, well, we're so up against the cap, we got to do it, and let's just say that's the case. Then it still doesn't make sense to take Pitts at four because you needed to take Justin Fields there because now you're you're not going to be bad enough, unless Matt Ryan gets hurt, you're not going to be bad enough this year to get a high enough pick to be within range of, of any quarterback who, who might be worth drafting high next year to solve this problem that you chose not to, to solve uh, with the fourth pick when you actually were there in the first place and you didn't have to trade up to get there so I, I think it would have made a lot of sense to go with Kyle Pitts and that article that I wrote last week is pretty much already obsolete or if they trade Julio it will be obsolete because I thought the math worked out pretty well if you go with a pass heavy offense going with all of Julio Calvin Ridley uh, Kyle Pitts and then I think with those guys yeah the running back doesn't even really matter it can be Mike Davis it, it could be somebody else who cares it doesn't really matter it will matter if you don't have Julio out there and you, you have just you know a rookie tight end receiver and then Calvin Ridley who is is not the most durable guy either so I, I see a lot of ways that this can go a little bit wrong and it's hard to tell how much say Arthur Smith had in all of this and, and whether some of it might have been like ownership or just somebody in the front office that he didn't necessarily agree with fully it's it's tough to tell what they think they're doing exactly and how many people have gotten their hands over it and you know got their their fingerprints on this this thing they're mushing together but i i think if they trade julio it'll be certainly like a, a bitter thing at the very least because yeah they're up against the cap but you shouldn't use bad decisions on, on past contracts to, to justify like getting rid of one of your good decisions. And, right. And and
1: also um, like, didn't they bring in Terry Fontenot from new Orleans? Who's like known for playing, you know, like right up to the edge of the salary cap and like kind of just having wizardy ways with, with, you know, figuring out cap stuff. So, I mean, I feel like that there are better way, like he's shown better ways to box his way out of the corner Uh, in in new Orleans to where it's like, can't you find something better to do than just getting rid of Julio Jones?
2: Yeah. And the other thing is they kind of put themselves in this situation by, uh, granted they would, they would have been up against the cap either way, but they gave a $10 million fully guaranteed salary to Dante Fowler who sucks. And be easily replaced with just like anybody It's like, you're not going to, you're not going to go from a crap defense to a good one because you paid up for Dante Fowler. That's just like, you're bad and you're bad with or without him. So just accept that you suck and put your money towards something that can actually be productive. Like maybe keeping the best, I don't know, player in Falcons history on your team uh, when he was still very productive last year. So the other thing is it's like, because they are only trading him to remove his, his salary they necessarily won't get a very good offer for it like it it only really makes sense to trade a player like julio jones when you're going into a rebuild and it makes sense to trade him ideally when he has some actual value on the market but if they're basically paying teams to take his salary instead of take his talent they're going to say like oh well we're not going to give you that much we're going to give you like a fourth rounder in 2022 and um you know we'll we'll eat like five million of it it's like what is what is keeping Dante Fowler on the roster and getting a fourth rounder worth to a team that's looking at this this, you know, set of circumstances that it has. Like it's it's just stuff you do when you're not thinking it through, when you're not thinking about what you're actually doing with any of this. Whether like you gotta have some sort of plan, I guess, in the sense that you just need to think about how what happens after you do something. And it doesn't seem to me like they're doing that. Or maybe they're just thinking things that I don't agree with uh and, and maybe they're right and i'm wrong but i definitely am thinking probably not <laughs> i don't know
1: oh well uh our, our buddy sarfarez alam in the uh comment section says exactly to your point there mario so i think some listeners out there definitely agree with with your point of you view uh, on the way someone, the falcons are doing this
2: someone gave us a negative review in a cast box or something i mean i don't know. i i see it in cast box because i use that on my my walmart phone to listen to podcasts and uh some guy said last year he gave us like a one-star review and was like i had to stop listening to this podcast because he was being too mean to thomas dimitrov and um <laughs> i wonder what i wonder if that guy's are you, are you listening now again did you come back uh after this this report this morning or are you psyched to see your best players leave your team and you still suck for it <laughs> oh man the the yeah the dimitrov defender
1: legion out there uh total buffoon a, the, a the wily guys. bunch
2: so, it just shows that like you, if you just dress up like you're some sort of like apple guy or something people will think you're smart even if you're just walking into traffic and, and like, <laughs> barely, barely missing trains as you're wandering around and like man that guy's got a n- nice suit and those those glasses did you see those they don't have any rims on them it's so the, shiny the Peturism. man's a visionary I just wanted to do a job for him for very little money.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Okay. All right. Let's move off of Atlanta. Let's move on over to the PPR mock draft. So, this is an exercise that we do for the magazine every single year. Kind of helps set, you know. In recent years now with, with, you know, online draft championships and best ball basically being open from the day after the Super Bowl onward, we have a bit of a better understanding of ADP at this stage than, than we did in years past. But still, this is a useful, helpful exercise that we do every single year for the magazine. Fourteen teams, really, really strong room. You know, other Rotowire guys like Jerry Donabedian, Scott Jenstad, Logan Larson were all in there, and and ton of other people from around the industry. The Athletic was represented. Fantasy points, football diehards, fade the noise. I mean, just a, a who's who of guys in this room. Um, so I want to kick things off, just kind of breaking down my team and and my initial strategy uh, and how things went. So actually, well, but uh, uh, due to some delays, um, we uh, had to switch up the draft order just a little bit. And uh, we, we moved the first pick back to the 14th pick. And then that bumped me up to 13. So instead of picking on the wheel, which I had, a kind of a uh, concrete idea of what I wanted to do. Uh, I was moved off of that. So I, yeah, I then had to kind of deal with the guy who was on the wheel as a, as a result of that. So um, what I ended up doing uh, was I took Darren Waller uh, at number 13 overall. I know that that might have a little bit of sticker shock and that wasn't something where I was trying to just kind of shake up the room for it for the sake of, of the mock It's just a more, more of a tacit statement. Like uh, I'm just trying to say that this is a guy who plays tight end and is going to get 100 catches this year. And that is something that only two, maybe three people are capable of. And and as as good as George Kittle is, it's hard for him to stay healthy, it seems like. And that's a real concern, whereas Darren Waller doesn't seem to, to have that issue. I know that injuries can crop up at any time. But all of that being said, Waller is such a huge staple of that offense that they lost um nelson aguilar that this free agency so I, I don't see the target i mean the targets and the routes are, are different things when it comes to those two guys but point remains there's no way in my mind that, that waller playing in 17 games is going to catch less than 100 passes and i thought that that was too valuable to pass up the real question is in terms of my game theory though could i have gotten him at pick number 16 could i have uh gone ahead and taken deandre swift at 13 waited for for the next two picks, and then gotten Waller on the other side of that. I I think, in hindsight, that could have happened. And unfortunately, Swift was taken uh, with one of those next two selections. So I kind of burned myself in that regard. But I bounced back by getting Austin Eckler. I felt okay about that as well. So uh, what did you think of of that strategy there, Uh, end of the first round in in a 14-teamer, thinking about Darren Waller?
2: Yeah, I guess it's a bummer that you didn't get Swift, but to me, Eckler and Swift are the same player. Maybe I have Swift a little higher, or sorry, uh, Eckler a little higher actually. So I think it's fine uh, t- to me with with PPR scoring. Eckler and Swift are just guys that you basically hope you get similar share percentages of because we are we are just mortals. We don't we can't tell how it's going to go. And in the meantime, they have a lot of the same th- strengths and, and weaknesses and just incidental details are, are very similar in their cases. So I think it's fine. Uh, but Waller, I guess maybe you and me are a little higher on him than a lot of people. I guess, I guess it's safe to say, because I, I think it's a fine pick. I think that uh, it's generally, it seems a little arbitrary to me to have Kittle ranked ahead of Waller at all. I think it's, Uh, in some cases people are probably just giving style points. They're they're letting like style points and aesthetic details break into their projections because I I know that Darren Waller doesn't do just like pro wrestling stuff out there or whatever, but he is a total freak athlete in his own right and Kittle's a monster. There's no doubt about that. Um, But for me, even if Kittle plays every game, I just don't see it as, as a given that he's going to outproduce Waller who I think is as good as him. Like, I think it's they're they're a little bit different stylistically obviously, but Waller he's he's catching 100 passes in 16 games in my opinion. So 17 it's, you know, health permitting, that's pretty much a lock to me, especially with Aguilar gone. Like I like Brian Edwards, but for if Edwards is is even like 85% as good this year as Aguilar was last year, then he's one of the biggest steals of this draft season. Yes. So people people would and also both could be quite good, which is how I tend to see it actually because as much as John Gruden is a terrible head coach he is a good offensive coordinator and like play designer and play caller so Derek Carr's had two good years in a row I I think you can both I think you can think what I do which is that Carr's really not that good but he's still going to be productive on this team and if that's the case Waller is necessarily the engine of that whole deal so I think people just people are still hung up on like just believing that he's some sort of flash in the pan that he he has to regress because he's you know he's Gary Barnage he's not he's not this he's not Darren Waller he's Gar- Gary Barnage and it's like no Waller's peripherals are super super solid like there's there's nothing that indicates regression in his game and and in a lot of ways there's there's ways it could go better than it has especially you know touchdown production mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, so I mean, again, you know, he if you look at his player page on, on Rotowire.com, it's uh, especially on on the advanced metrics uh, side of things. The guy is just green light city everywhere. If you, if you look at the you know the air yardage, air yardage per game, the the. the, the uh, target share that he has within that offense is unique. Uh, it's hard to find another tight end that's drawing uh, over twenty five percent of his team's targets. Waller has that, and he's got the the run after the catch ability. He's got the high catch rate, and, and like you said, you know, looking you know at the physical tools, the physical traits when it comes to Waller, he's rare. I mean, it, you're not supposed to see guys that, that big and tall be able to move as fast. Like the the only real compare or the only real comparison that I, I could have bought when it came to people trying to to figure out what Kyle Pitts looked like at, at this level, it was Darren Waller. Like, that, oh, definitely, yeah. So, I mean, take take that for what you will, but but yeah, I, th- I think that yeah, the the idea that that you have to have Kittle as as your tight end too, um, it needs to be reevaluated, and I think that Waller is is a totally legit candidate to be the tight end too. and and you know. When it's all said and done this year, it wouldn't shock me completely if he if he outscored Travis Kelsey either. I I, I don't know if that's a odd take or not.
2: Well, I uh, I gotta I, I thought that he had fewer than nine touchdowns last year. I didn't realize he had nine. Uh, Waller did, so I guess he he's probably not going to do better than touchdowns, uh, contrary to what I just said. But I do notice that his yards per target was down to eight point two last year with that really high usage. So to me, that that almost that seems like it could go up to me. Like maybe he. Uh, just kind of breaks like he didn't have a 40 yard catch last year and he had two in 2019. So it seems that seems to me like the kind of thing where when it bounces again, this, this third year here, he's going to get a 40 yarder or two and, and probably push for like nine yards per target while still catching a really high percentage. So an interesting thing about wall and not to dwell on it too much. is like, he's one of these guys. I love to see this in pass catchers. His average depth of target was 70th percentile last year at 7.8 yards. But his air yardage per snap was at 89th percentile. Like I really, it's a really encouraging thing to me, especially when you're at such a high volume as Waller was, to have an air yardage per snap percentile that's higher than your depth of target. Because that basically means like there's there's tension between like the defense in you and they're not stopping you. Like they're, there's mm. you're they're, you're getting more usage than the amount that you're moving. Uh, you know, would normally dictate relative to the average. So he's, he's just, they know he's c- coming up for him every play and they just haven't even gotten the vague scent of slowing him down after two years.
1: Nope. Nope. So, uh, and you know, he's still just 28. So, I mean, he's still right it right smack in the, in the prime of, of his career. Um, and, you know, I, I think that we're in for another great season. And then to, just one more uh, add on to, to circle back to what you uh, mentioned just a minute ago uh, that this, has more to do with best balls or or deeper drafts. This one was just uh, 13 rounds and you had to draft a a kicker and a, and a defense, but um, in best ball formats, Brian Edwards is floating around there in like the 18th and the 19th round. Get him by in bulk. I, as I promise you like that, you know, someone's got to replace Aguilar again, we don't think that he can necessarily it's replace a <laughs> it one to one. Probably not. Um, but I, I think that, you know, Edwards is a really interesting player, really um just kind of a polished guy. Um, so I, I think where he's going and, and with the targets that need to be replaced in that offense, Edwards is a great late round guy.
2: He's gonna be in the uh, breakout player article that I'm writing for the magazine right now. Let's go.
1: Okay. Among, I love he's it. Among the twelve. Among the 12. okay, he made the cut. I love that. Um, Let's move on. Uh, So my next uh, crop of picks, um, I went with David Montgomery. Um, You know, that was just a point in the draft. No one's ever particularly stoked that they have David Montgomery, but I feel better about it today than I would have a year ago for, for sure. Um, I know that there's a lot of argument, uh, when it comes to David Montgomery, that, you know, the majority of his production was down the stretch against bad teams, blah, blah, blah. Um, but you know, I think that this bears offense, especially if it's Justin Fields back there. Um, I think it's going to be a lot more wide open. And I, I think that they're, you know, teams are going to have to focus on stopping the right. Re- Not that Mitchell Trubisky was a statue back there, but, um, I, I think that the, you know less loaded boxes and and things that just kind of generally help a replacement level running back get get above replacement level production. Um, I think those things will be in working in Dave Montgomery's favor this year. And you know, I was definitely going to take him over you know someone like a Josh Jacobs or, or something like that who I, I have way more like workload uh, concerns. So I just wanted to lock in the volume more than anything. Again, not particularly excited about about this get but um when you looked at at who else was there you know miles gaskin mike davis um i I just felt like that the security with with montgomery's role made a lot of sense and then i i went with cooper cup actually as you know what turned out to be my first receiver um there in in the fourth round in the start of the fourth round but uh i feel happy about that and i know that you're in on that rams offense
2: yeah so you were at the the end of the round right so you had to whenever you're at the ends of the rounds, you have to do a lot of thinking about how much is going to be at a any given position the next time you're up and running back's a big one to, to, you know, go into that fourth, fifth round range insecure. So I think Montgomery's in this category of running back where I, I'm definitely not targeting him, but he falls into that range of like probable running back twos who you can imagine finishing in like the top 10 among running backs. If, other players have bad injury luck and you know this guy has a few lucky twists in his season stuff that you know could totally happen in both cases and there's just only so much we can know and so with with Montgomery having that you know three down ability and getting the workload that he does you can skip you asking yourself how good you think he is and just kind of you know acknowledge that you're not going to get usage like that at your next pick and and strategize accordingly. So I think, I think it makes sense for your, your roster construction to do it that way, even if you have, you know, the slight concerns that you might have. So I, I think that getting that workload there and, you know, so you had a uh, Eckler Montgomery and Waller, and then you got cup in the, f- so that's, uh, yeah, I guess you, you, ideally you would do a little, better than cup at wide receiver one if only because he's been getting these knee troubles the past couple years and sure. that's my main concern with him he's he's clearly a good player and if, if stafford's on the field i, I think they're you know they're, they're basically locks almost automatic um but if if you have the good injury look and if uh you know Waller stays the way he's going that should be a good construction um in that case that did you uh did you feel the need to kind of like hammer a wide receiver from that point? I, I did, but only to only to a certain extent.
1: I, I guess I, I had some confidence that in how I'd be able to build out from there, and and you know c- certain rounds uh, there were receiver runs. Again, when you're picking uh, on the end, especially of, of a deeper league like like a 14 teamer, yeah. uh, things can really uh, go go haywire. Um, so. I was concerned with with certain things, and you know, certain guys that I was targeting and and hoping for uh, didn't pan out the the way that I was hoping. So, um, I I didn't. I didn't hammer receiver the way that I was kind of expecting to, but I, I still think that it, it turned out. Okay. I was able to to target some, some guys in the later rounds that, that made some sense. Um, so after I went with cup, I got Jamar chase at the end of the fifth and I felt, felt good about that one. Will Fuller had gone uh, just before I was hoping to get Jerry. I was hoping to get chase and Jerry Judy, but uh, Jerry Judy went right after Jamar chase. Um, so, that was unfortunate, but um, it just kind of spurned me to go ahead and, and uh, get my first quarterback, which, which ended up being uh, Justin Herbert uh, there in the sixth.
2: Yeah, I like Herbert definitely. That's that's uh, the, the, he's going pretty late, and I, I can't really figure out why. I guess people are just kind of thinking that the touchdown rate's going to come down, which is reasonable enough. But he's the real deal, and and gives you that dual threat upside too. So I think if if Cooper Cup stays healthy, that's that's a pretty sound loadout in my opinion even if a, a lot of you know a lot of people would say like oh you got to do better at receiver than that i think i think some of the some of the truth is with with you know people like us who are uh plugged into this stuff way too much and and know <laughs> as much about the prospects as we do like we feel like we can kind of get those sleeper wide receivers better than the the more casual wagerer who's maybe playing like four different sports at the same time it's like because we're deep in the you know the the grinding minds, the tape grinding minds, right. you know, all all hours of all seasons of the year, uh, we we know we can get that Brian Edwards, and we, we don't care about Cooper Cup uh, being our wide receiver one. See exactly, exactly.
1: So the, a bit of hubris there, and and uh, you know I'll give it. I'll give a quick spoiler. Um, the guy that I, I finished out my, my draft with, or second to last pick, uh, my my last skill position guy uh, was Elijah Moore. So you know if if he ends up starting for me. I'd feel, I'd feel good about playing out this league. I think that he, there's a very real chance that he has an, an awesome uh, rookie season. I mean, just the talent alone, and I think that the role is going to be right there for him. I, I guess we still need to get the...
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Damison Crowder conundrum yeah. uh, sorted out, but I imagine it, it will that will you know to quote off basically take to. care of itself. That, yeah,
2: especially after the Keelan Cole signing, just they got to get rid of him. But yeah, I think Elijah Moore is basically what people wanted and and. like thought Deontay Johnson was it's like he's he's got the speed to take that whole profile to an actual you know 100 and a a productive 150 targets not not like 150 useless targets in a bad offense
1: see exactly so that will be that will be great to see I I look forward to that Um, before we get on to our next group of picks we got a quick message from our sponsors and then up next, um, after after I went with Justin Herbert, um, maybe in in hindsight I, I wish I got a little bit more receivers between now and, and Elijah Moore, but um, some other guys that I targeted a little bit later on, um, I got Zach Moss. He's he's one of the guys that I'm definitely going to be trying to target. Um, you know, when you get to pick 100 or so, I think that that's kind of the the way to go. Um, I think that. You know, that's a Buffalo offense that wasn't particularly run heavy, especially with, with its running backs, because Josh Allen is able to pick up, so, you know, so much of that on his own. But, you know, I, I think the question will be settled as to whether um, Moss is the best option in that backfield. And obviously, with, with the way that the draft went, um, you know, Buffalo was a concern for, for the Moss investors because, you know, What if uh, what if they went with Javante Williams at the end of the first round? Something like like, you know, at that point, you'd start to be concerned about about the workload split. But I'm confident that Moss is better than Devin Singletary. So I think he'll, you know, this year, not his rookie year anymore. We're going to see the the growing pains, you know, not really in the picture anymore. And I know you're a Zach Moss guy too. So, um, what are your thoughts on him as a as a running back in that in that kind of tier uh, towards the back end of you know the eighth round in uh, in regular twelve teamers?
2: Yeah, I think Moss is one of those guys you you at the very least have to keep in mind if you're doing a zero running back construction, and it's. I guess in his case, it's a little weirder. It's a, or it's a little bit different of a speculation scenario with uh, than with other running back targets for zero running back approaches because normally you're you're speculating on a running back and zero running back, hoping that his the starter ahead of him gets hurt or the guy that he's splitting snaps with whatever gets hurt. With Zach Moss, you're kind of heard, you're kind of wagering on Josh Allen getting hurt because I don't really think they're going to change the offensive design too much and the way the offense was built last year. There just isn't that much carry-wise to go around for the running backs. There could be some pass catching work, and Zach Moss can definitely do that. I think we can say Devin Singletary probably cannot. So that's a big detail to keep in mind. I saw there's there's still some Devin Singletary truthers out there, and I understand liking the guy as a player. I mean, he's underdog who's who you know plays with a ton of motor and, and he's much stronger. Then, uh, or he, he packs more of a wallop than someone as small as him should. And, you know, that's, that's kind of cool aesthetically to watch and it's easy player to root for. But he, he just doesn't have the pass catching skill set and he's not fast. He's not actually physically strong. He just kind of gets anchor leverage on some guys and has a lot of motor to get him through the chain sometimes. And that's great for a backup, but it's not somebody that you want to be starting too much in your offense. So uh, Zach Moss has injury concerns he got nicked up a bit at Utah especially with his knee. I can't remember what it was last year, but obviously he got hurt last year too, but he seemed to me kind of ahead of Devin Singletary even in week 1 and week 2. Uh at least in the sense that he was the goal line and the passing down guy and I think those are by far, you know, more more important than whatever's in between that Singletary's getting. So uh with all that said, if Josh Allen does get hurt, then that offense has to totally change its look. You can't run those things at those the four wides all those those deep attacking pass formations you can't do that with just anybody so if Allen gets hurt I think they're going to kind of uh, roll back the offense a little bit and put more of the workload on the running backs which they can't really do out of their general alignments I think uh, I know there were rumors about the Bills looking at drafting a running back but I kind of just don't believe they were real is because Singletary and Moss were both third rounders and there's something like 18 carries per game to go between the two of them. It, it would have been insane to spend a first round around a running back.
1: Now that, yeah, no, that, that's a good framing there. And, you know, if, if their offense was explosive as it was a year ago, then, then, you know, why try to tinker it in, in, in a way that takes away from, you know, the, the kind of inherent advantages that, that having a Josh Allen back there and having Stefan Diggs out there. And, and of course now they have Emmanuel Sanders. Um, so yeah, at, going to going to the Ravens offense wouldn't it wouldn't make sense They they they'll probably keep it uh, fairly in the air and keep things relatively uh the same uh some other guys that, that I went with um so I, I know this is just a one quarterback league but um I wanted to get Trevor Lawrence. I, I could sense one of my fellow drafters what was, I think, working on a Jaguar stack, so I kind of <laughs> did that to block him a little bit, and, and um, also just kind of a, as an endorsement that it's okay to, to take a couple of quarterbacks uh, relatively early. I mean, may, maybe I'm not doing this if, if I had taken Patrick Mahomes, but um, you know, get, adding a little bit of volume between like QB six and, and QB twelve, getting getting two of those top twelve guys. I think it makes plenty of sense, even in a one quarterback, because um, you don't want to be, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel for the waiver wire and and you know doing the equivalent of having to start Andy Dalton from from last season. So felt good about about grabbing Lawrence. I grabbed Chuba Hubbard. Um, uh, Hunter Henry w- was uh, my second tight end that that I got, um, and I, I do want to want to hear your thoughts on uh, on Henry actually and and you know, which of those two new New England tight ends uh, you would be targeting uh, at current ADP?
2: So for the price, I prefer Jonu Smith, but that's only because it generally seems like Jonu goes later than Henry, sometimes by as much as like a couple rounds, which I I understand what the concerns are as stated, but I don't really understand how Personally, I I can't really agree with the reasoning that makes such a distinction between the two. If anything, I would probably put Jonu ahead of Hunter Henry, just because. Like this is this is definitely reading between the lines a lot and taking some liberties, some assumptions. But if the Patriots are trying to build something even loosely resembling what they did with this type of tight end personnel in the past, with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez, then Johnny Smith is the one who plays the Aaron Hernandez role, if anyone is going to play it. And that's the one with a lot less blocking. Now, you can have a Gronkowski, obviously, who puts up you know 1,200 yards and 14 touchdowns or whatever, even when he's playing that more blocking-intensive role. But that's why Rob Gronkowski is maybe the best tight end ever, because normally when you do the stuff that he does, you don't catch passes the way he did. It's just no. not as easy. You're not running as many routes, and the routes that you run you're getting chipped like two or three times before you're five steps into your route. And and Gronk could handle it. He was, you know, he's this juggernaut guy who can break through those kinds of conditions and still make a lot of plays, especially in the red zone. But Hunter Henry is not Rob Gronkowski. Hunter Henry might be a very good tight end and he could maybe even be a a big fantasy factor going through those exact same conditions, even if he has the Gronk role rather than, than, uh, you know, the move tight end type functions. But for me, it's, it's, it's a question with Henry, whereas with who there's no question. He can do that stuff for sure. He should be used in that role. John is a very good blocker. It's, it's kind of funny. You watch Derrick Henry highlights, and you see Janu throwing around these guys who are so much bigger than him, but he is a pass catcher. He's very good at pass catching. Uh, he's very athletic. At Florida International, he had one of the best pass catching seasons for any tight end in college football history as like a 19-year-old sophomore. So he he does not need to be a blocker. He can he can catch I think ninety passes if they throw him the ball that many times. Now they probably won't, but the skill set and the traits are all there. So I like Johnny because I, I just think that if if someone's going to get stuck with the inline role, I think it would be Henry. And also, I guess Henry does have a little bit of a durability history. I, I don't know. Whether, Definitely, maybe, maybe it's irresponsible to try to factor that in in any way, but. He's definitely gotten nicked up quite a bit. And if he is the inline guy, he'll have the role that's more like physically demanding of the two.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think I think he would. And, and you know, that that puts a bit of a magnifying glass then um, on the uh, durability concerns, because because like you said, Hunter Henry has had uh, plenty of them throughout his, or had plenty of them throughout his tenure with the uh, with the Chargers. Um, let's uh, let's table my draft for now. You know, we, we don't need to get into which kicker I took or, or uh, I did take the, the Buccaneers defense as the first uh, defense off the board. Cause again, I wanted to, to cut off the the chance of ending up getting like the 10th best defense, uh, that sort of thing. So I uh, just went ahead and kind of started that. And then the, the run came back the, the following round. Um, but let's talk a little bit more just about the, these running back tiers and, and kind of how you want to navigate um, um, the early rounds uh, of your drafts, the first three rounds specifically, because, you know, that's where you got to get your your alpha running back the the guy that's, you know, e- even if you are going with a pass catcher heavy approach, I, I think you still kind of need one of these guys. It, it's almost like, you know, to use a baseball or fantasy baseball analogy, you know, like skewing aces entirely um, you know that that can definitely uh, get you burned so I mean these are rare commodities the the running backs uh, the the true workhorses so uh, I want to work through um, how you're approaching them Uh, McCaffrey I think I think is kind of like obviously the the number one guy Um, but and I think Dalvin Cook also is kind of solidified it as the number two but um, I think running backs three through five especially in PPR are kind of up for debate. Um, so I wanted to get your thoughts on on Camara, um, on Saquon Barkley, and, and Jonathan Taylor. I think that in, in PPR, Derrick Henry kind of falls uh, closer to, to the sixth or the seventh guy. But I, I wanted to, to start things out specifically asking you when it comes to Camara. We know he's an amazing talent. We do. But so much of his production these last couple of years, you know thanks to Drew Brees being there and not being able to throw the ball 10 yards downfield, is that Kamara was just like an automatic part of that offense. Do you think that that continues to the same extent now that they're going to be going with either Jameis Winston or, or Taysom Hill? I, I would feel better about Kamara maybe if uh, if it was Taysom Hill, but also maybe not. I, I know we had a couple games of sample of that um, last season as well. So just your thoughts on, on Kamara and his ability to kind of keep up the production uh, sans Drew Brees.
2: Well, I can imagine a certain offensive design where Taysom Hill would be fine or even good for Alvin Kamara. I don't think they ran an offense like that last year when Taysom Hill played last year, though. I think instead of... like Basically, you would have to... remove all usage except Kamara and Michael Thomas and you'd have to go very up-tempo to offset the fact that you're running so much more than you used to or th- than you would with an alternative quarterback so he's he's bad for the number of plays logged in any given game and he is bad for Alvin Kamara's like per target efficiency and volume obviously so th- those are pretty big concerns for a guy who so much of his theoretical value is as a pass catcher uh, in PPR scoring, especially, is where he's he's good. He loses a little bit, I think, in standard scoring because we we don't really expect Kamara to run for like 1,100 yards or anything like that. We need him to get to something like 500, 600 as a pass catcher to be the guy that we that we have in mind when we draft him. So for me, Jameis Winston would be preferable because it, he's going to turn more higher higher share of the offense to pass attempts than under Taysom Hill, and they're going to run more plays than they would under Taysom Hill. It would be probably good for. Alvin Kamara's uh, efficiency as a runner, if Taysom Hill is on the field, just because the bootleg threat with Hill makes it hard for you to to load up in the the interior gaps to try to s- sit on the run. Uh, you, you can you can do it, but it, it's it's risky. So you kind of just tend to concede more space in the interior of the defense. But if Taysom Hill's stealing a lot of those extra run plays, then that's bad. And then the clock's running more. So I think the efficiency gain as a runner is not as much as the harm done to him as a pass catcher. Uh, So I I hope Jameis Winston is a starter. I think he will be. And I think that the, if he is, then Kamara should be fine, at least in PPR. Like I'm not expecting a 14 rushing touchdown season from Kamara, but I think Winston, despite all of his goofiness is conducive enough to fantasy production that he would be fine for Kamara. And in in some ways there might be like new possibilities there because uh, regardless of Sean Payton's play calling, Winston on the field instead of Breeze means the safeties have to play differently. And we've, we've never really seen a Saints offense where Kamara can you know, catch the ball and then have 10 yards of space before the next guy's on him it's like he's he's always had to make a lot of insane moves and, and winston if he can get a vertical element going he, he, he kamara could a get in on that a little bit and b if he's catching short passes maybe there's a little more room to run so i'm pretty optimistic about kamara actually in ppr if okay. the, if winston's the starter but if it is hill then yeah he's like henry's going too high i should say like in ppr I, I love Henry. He sh- he should not be going fourth. He should not be going ahead of Barkley. Maybe Barkley if you're worried about the knee, but he shouldn't be going ahead of Taylor. He shouldn't be going ahead of Ezekiel Elliott. So uh, I, I think Kamara might be in that Derek Henry tier for me, though, if Taysom Hill somehow ends up starting.
1: Okay, all right. That that's a good distinction. So obviously that that'll be a training camp battle that that everyone is paying extremely uh, close attention to. But but as it stands, all right. So given the condition that that Winston is starting week one, you feel comfortable with Kamara at three then in, in PPR drafts?
2: Yeah, definitely. I I mean, I think there's even a case to, to, if you're doing a lot of volume and you get a lot of second picks, I don't think there's anything wrong with getting Kamara exposure there instead of cook, just because cook has, you know, he's got the shoulder injury history, which is pretty uniquely bad, pretty uniquely high risk among this, this tier of running backs. But obviously if cook doesn't get hurt, he's just insane every single game pretty much.
1: Okay. All right. All right. That that definitely checks out. Um, let's get into then uh, Jonathan Taylor versus versus Saquon Barkley because I, I think that that's one where people aren't thinking enough and and they're just assuming that that Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, a guy that that went in the top ten or went second overall a couple years ago and and has the, those highlight plays. Oh, he'll definitely be. He's definitely worth the the number four pick o- over Jonathan Taylor ten times out of ten, and I just were I like on a talent basis Saquon Barkley at least pre injury as far as we know probably a, a better uh, back than Jonathan Taylor, but uh, uh, on just talent alone, but play you know not a, not a slam dunk necessarily. And then Jonathan Taylor though, I mean he's a guy who really broke out down the stretch last year, had an amazing college career as we know as Madison guys, um, but. He also has a better team context, and it, it pains me to say that for for a Carson Wentz led team. But I mean, the, even with Anthony Costanzo being retired, I just think that in, that Indianapolis uh, offensive line is a much better, uh, more conducive climate for good rushing production. Jonathan Taylor also proved that he can be good as a pass catcher last year as well. Whereas Barkley man. I mean, it looks like Andrew Thomas was a complete whiff as a top 10 pick last year. Uh, I think they got rid of Kevin Zeitler this past offseason, if I remember correctly. So, um, you know, there's some questions on that giants offensive line to where, you know, that combined with Saquon Barkley coming off the ACL tear. I go Taylor.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I, for me, that's one of those where I have to look at it as kind of just a exposure question. Like I, 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 f- <laughs> I feel like they both have like first overall upside and I think because of his knee I would call Barkley's downside a little bit lower than Taylor's but it's it's really hard to know I mean we can't know the things that that will will cause them to go whichever way they do as the season unfolds so at some point if you're doing a certain amount of volume I feel like you kind of just gotta concede that that's sometimes chance will just negate whatever otherwise correct reasoning you might be operating on and just kind of protect yourself a little bit by hedging at least. But I think I would probably put Taylor ahead of Barkley in most of my rankings, just because I actually think I, I probably prefer Taylor as a player. Like I, I know Barkley is, is a really insane athlete and as a pass catcher, he's great, but I really do think he has trouble seeing the field out of the backfield. I don't think he's really a natural running back in terms of reading blocks and and anticipating space i feel like he's more of a guy who kind of runs with horse blinders on and it's like if you if you let him see daylight you can't catch him but if you just kind of stay around him and contain him he's he's not going to really just break out he's not going to ever pull a houdini on anybody whereas with taylor i think the vision is there more so than, than with barkley and barkley's a great athlete but uh i mean didn't I guess I guess Barkley might have been a little bit heavier, but Taylor's actually faster in the forty, isn't he? He's like a four three nine, and I feel like I can't remember what Barkley. But uh, anyway, to me, Taylor is a total blue chip. I I, I realize I'm higher on him as a prospect than most people, but to me, Taylor is pretty close to like a perfect running back prospect. I I can't, I I wouldn't even consider like Dalvin Cook. I think is the only player. And Nick Chubb, I think, are the only two players with as much natural pure running ability as Jonathan Taylor. So for for him to have no knee concerns uh, and, and Barkley having both the knee and kind of like the the offensive line concerns, I guess it could be a pretty tough defensive division. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I lean Taylor, but I, I guess I I just have to f- probably concede that I'm a little bit biased, I guess. Okay, and, and I think you know
1: the exposure detail makes sense if you're if you're doing a whole bunch of drafts, but um, you know, again, if if you're just doing the the one home league type of thing, you get that spot. I I think Taylor Taylor would be the move.
2: I actually think there's a really good case to take Zeke over both of them, but uh, let's yeah. hear
1: it. I I do want to hear that because like he's someone that I've kind of just uh banished from from my thought process, honestly, after after how last year went.
2: Yeah, last year was pretty brutal optics wise. I mean, it was it was legitimately embarrassing after he had fumbled like seven times or whatever it <laughs> was. But it, it was also to me one of those things where it was pretty clearly like everything just went wrong, and after a mm-hmm. certain point, it stopped having any meaning. It's like, yeah, it's 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 like an entire house is on fire, and like each time another floor goes down, you're like, wow. It's like, man, the whole look at it. It's, it's toast. <laughs> Who cares? Like, yeah, it's not getting not getting worse every time some other thing falls over. uh, It's just it's scrapped. So um, maybe not. Maybe he actually declined and and those were indications of decline. But I feel like too many other things were going wrong for that to be the most likely explanation. And if the conditions are more to what he's used to and he doesn't have the yips uh, like that was Ezekiel Elliott probably like never had a thing go wrong in his whole football career, like on the field obviously. Nothing Mm -hmm. ever went wrong in his whole career until that moment. Like Ohio State, even in his early NFL years, it was, all he ever knew was just complete success and uh, experiencing that kind of embarrassment for the first time might have gotten to his head a little bit. But with Dak Prescott on the field, assuming he is and assuming he's who he you know was before the injury, that offense is going to go places regardless of Elliott's involvement. And incidentally, he will probably be very involved.
1: Uh yes I think he he will too and and yeah I think I think you can get you can give some forgiveness for the way things went last year especially after um after the Dak Prescott injury, I mean that, that changed everything. And I mean, I mean so, some of the pass catchers were still able to, to have some production, but you know Zeke, obviously, I mean, like a, a full like half yard basically worse that than we've known him to be on on a per carry basis throughout the, this point of his career. Like you said, the fumbles were bad. Uh, he was dropping passes. Um, just a kind of a, a strange strange season. But um, is is the Dak detail alone? T- um, good like enough to make you buy back into this extent on on Zeke? I mean, especially given that the offensive line is not nearly what it was. You know, 2016, you couldn't have a zeke conversation without talking about how good that, that offensive line was.
2: That's true. It's something to think about. But I guess given the alternatives, the, the particular alternatives that they are, it's like you got Barkley with the knee in the offensive line of a similar level of concern. Quarterback... It's like even the good case scenarios for Daniel Jones don't get particularly close to the middle range outcomes for Prescott, in my opinion. And with Taylor, man, I I know that Colts offensive line has been really good, but Sam Tevy might be one of those guys who's so bad that he just collapses the whole unit. I guess it didn't quite happen with the Chargers last year, but that might have had something to do with Herbert because you're, as a defense, approaching a pass rush very differently against Herbert than you are Carson Wentz with Wentz. You are not intimidated.
1: And well, and, he, and Wentz can create his own sacks better than any other quarterback in the league.
2: Yeah, so I, I'm actually a little bit worried about the Colts just not being very good on offense. I, I think because of the workload projection and the talent detail with Taylor, you don't let that scare you off the pick. But it's the kind of thing that would keep me from moving him into the top three or something like that. And I think with Elliott, you get at least as much of a share of the offense as Taylor probably as much as with barkley too and the quarterback is just non-negotiably so much better than than those guys have so it's he's like elliot you would have to project to have significantly better like field position per touch and like uh you know scoring opportunities things like that drive average drive length average points per drive stuff like that
1: okay all right that that definitely checks out um as well um another kinda of, or moving on to another tier. Uh this is a guy who well I want to talk about Aaron Jones and I want to talk about J.K. Dobbins. And when it comes to Dobbins first off, it, it feels like I could believe at pretty much anywhere after pick nine or ten, depending on, on who had been taken before. That that sure he's a fine pick, or I could I could see him falling to twenty or late late second round and being like, yeah, oh, I guess that that kind of makes sense too. He's kind of a value there, that that type of thing. But uh, where are you uh, with with him specifically, and then you know how does that compare to to where you're at with with Aaron Jones?
2: Well, Aaron Jones, I think you got to put quite a bit higher, just be, at least in PPR, just because. He, he doesn't even really play a pure running back position for the Packers. It's almost like some kind of flanker hybrid, almost a little bit like Kamara and the Saints. So because of that structural detail and and, and definitely the uh, the touchdown sort of upside that he has, I'm, I'm probably keeping Jones a level above. Admittedly, the the Rodgers drama is pretty concerning. That, that'll do a hell of a lot of damage to Aaron Jones's touchdown projection if, if Rodgers isn't there. So I guess we'll see... But for me, Dobbins has uh, just a little bit of a limitation for the pass catching upside, I guess. like obviously he obviously he's the pass catcher between himself and Gus Edwards. Gus Edwards isn't a threat to encroach upon that. but no. the pass catching running back role for the Ravens has about as much pass catching use as like a lot of teams' backup running back positions. So it's hard it's hard for him to keep up with some of the other guys in this top range there, which puts a lot of pressure on his running production, which he may or may not. You know, reach to, to 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 return value, like especially if he has touchdown production. Like last year, he had a lot of touchdowns for a guy with as few carries as he had. That's at once begging for regression, but also something you can look at with him and his fit in that offense and the offense as it is, and say, well, yeah, you would project him to have higher than usual touchdown production because uh, Lamar Jackson gets you into scoring range a lot, and Dobbins is really good. Uh, people have definitely lost sight of how good Dobbins is. Like I, I saw somebody. Uh, from another site posting rankings yesterday where like Dobbins was like six spots behind uh, a Harris or something in the running backs of the last two years. And um, I guess for this year, I can understand taking Najee Harris ahead of him, but Dobbins is really, really good. He's, he's, in my opinion, he's better than Cam Akers as a talent. Uh, obviously Akers has this better team fit right now, but it's, it seems like people are kind of thinking Dobbins is just sort of like the best running back the Ravens have lying around or, somebody who's pretty good or something like that. And Dobbins is an all pro talent. If he gets the right usage, like there's, there's, there's a, there's a sort of lack of just clarity on who these players are in a lot of cases. And I think Dobbins is a guy who, who suffers from that a little bit, but I probably wouldn't end up with too many shares at the current ADP just because I prefer Clyde Edwards Hilaire, at least in PPR scoring, and he okay. tends to go a little bit later. And I can't really take Dobbins over like Joe Mixon or Antonio Gibson. So I'm, I'm probably not getting Dobbins shares right now. But if the price goes up on Edwards Hilaire, or if uh, I don't know, if, if Dobbins like slips to Miles Sanders' range, I guess, like then I'll probably start buying because the talent is not a question. I me. Mean, I mean, people, w- whatever people think about Dobbins, they have to understand that. the the gripes with him, the the limitations with him are structural the the talent is definitely among the best. Like he's, he's really, really good.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, you know, Mark Ingram, the the previous year, his, his good year in Baltimore, uh, he averaged five yards a carry JK Dobbins, less, less carries last year than, than Ingram had in, in 2019, of course, but, you know for still a statistically significant amount Dobbins averaged six yards a carry and you know this is you know with with Ronnie Stanley being out for basically the entire time that that Dobbins had broken out. He didn't really get. He had really frustrating usage the first half of the season, all the way through the bye week, um, before he started really getting the, the workload uh, and started making Mark Ingram a healthy scratch. So, um, the I think, yeah, the sky's the limit as far as he's not going to keep up six yards per carry over 200 220 carries. But I, I think that you know he could be a guy that that's you know. Uh, pushing five yards a carry. Um, So then again, I I understand the the problem with the pass catching volume. So maybe he's more of a target in standard scoring. I mean, even again, using the Mark Ingram example from 2019, Ingram had like 30 catches or, or thir- maybe only 30 targets. So, yeah, that, that, again, what wasn't a particularly big function of the Ravens offense. And you don't think it's going to be, again, like what, when the Ravens throw, they throw it down uh, the field. They don't really check it down to, to the running back so much. So uh, that that definitely limits the, the ceiling when it comes to Dobbins. But, yeah, as far as pure rushing production goes this year, uh, it should be really, really strong. So I, I don't know, like, again, uh, where where Jeff took him? Jeff Erickson took him. Uh, in, in this draft, I think ninth or tenth overall. Um, he probably w- you probably won't have to go that high to get him. Right. Um, but you know if if he's around in the you know mid to late second, I think I think you should uh, consider it him. It Looks like strongly. sometimes he
2: falls even into like the very early third. So yeah, if if I had an opportunity to take him there, that's that's not so hard. That's that's one of those. Where it's like oh okay, I'm not so worried at that price. Okay,
1: exactly. And then um, I I guess uh, I'll leave you uh, with with one more toss up. These two guys went back to back. um, Antonio Gibson and Joe Mixon. uh, How do you sort that one out? Do you think that where they went in this draft kind of kind of makes sense uh, as like kind of early second round guys? um, That
2: type of thing. Sorry, I lost the screen. Which which order did they go in this draft? Uh, It went Gibson first Mixon right after. Yeah, I prefer Gibson and I guess part of that is that I'm, I'm getting a little bit losing the faith with Mixon talent-wise like I think he's good and I think he's better than a lot of his numbers with the Bengals have indicated but with with the injuries kind of piling up with him and and the the actual breakthroughs still not really happening on a consistent basis it's getting a little harder To keep that faith, I'm I'm a little concerned that he's less the kind of standout dominant talent that he looked like coming out of Oklahoma and more like a baseline runner who looks good when the offense is good, but if the offense is bad, kind of sinks with it. So it's a little bit more risk there in my mind than with Gibson, who already has shown better baseline fantasy production than Mixon has, I feel like, in the NFL, Mm -hmm. because when Gibson was actually getting work last year, he was – granted, he did play the Cowboys twice and had like nine touchdowns against them. But, uh, <laughs> good weeks. He, yeah, he was he was really good last year, and he was he was in his second year playing running back. And tools-wise, he's better than Mixon. I think you, you can't really call the Bengals' offensive line better than the Washington one, even though they both kind of suck. But the fact that the Washington offensive line sucked and the quarterbacks were so bad – still didn't really matter much for Gibson last year. And I think that Gibson has a ton of untapped pass catching upside and and Mixon does too. But with Gibson, it's like he can be peak David Johnson. Whereas with Mixon, you're hoping that he's, you know, just the guy you've been waiting on for three years now that still hasn't happened. Mm, Okay. All right. So that, that
1: definitely uh, settles that. And I, I tend to side with you uh, on that. And uh, yeah, when it comes to Joe Mixon, uh, yeah, I'm, I've, I, want I think some exposure, i'm pretty much I out okay. like a
2: little bit it's just it's just the kind of thing like if he does stay healthy and they he is good he he's going to catch more passes with geo bernard gone like i, I like samajay Pirine a little bit but he's not going to be taking up as much pass catching role as geo did so they're going to try to make mix and happen the question is just like is he good enough and i i think he kind of is but i'm not as sold as a couple other guys going in the similar range
1: okay all right that that checks out and uh for the for the listeners out there still paying attention to the Roto staff dynasty, Chris Evans guy here.
2: Oh, nice. Yeah, I, <laughs> I do think I think P Ryan's got him, but uh, okay. Know, Trav- Travian Williams also guys get hurt. Like teams are just that's a, that could be a practice squad pick. It might not be. Who knows? But uh, I, I like Samaje as the handcuff, just because. I don't know. I'm still a little bit of a truther, I guess. I don't know how. I don't I know how he's. That. He's been better than some of these other guys who have gotten more run than him. I, I think he did enough last year. He deserves another shot.
1: Okay. All right. Fair enough. I think that's going to wrap things up uh, for this week's edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast, brought to you by our friends over at WinBet. For Mario Pleeg, I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. Try RotoWire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools. Rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts.
0: No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com forward slash try.